All right. Lord Jesus, we just thank you um, for the power of your resurrection. We thank you for the new life that we have, God, as we explore that new life together and as we explore that new life in your word this morning, I just pray that you would um, let truth reign uh, above everything else. God, God, uh, quiet all the noise in our hearts, in our lives, quiet all the noise in our minds, uh, noise that might be speaking to us from outside this place. And Lord, we just want to come to you and we want to rest in your truth this morning. So would you speak to us and speak to us clearly? We're listening. We love you. Amen. All right. Uh, So we are in the middle of this uh, Romans series where we're actually going through the Well, I don't know if we'll go through the whole book of Romans, but we're just kind of intentionally going through the book of Romans chapter by chapter or sometimes a couple of chapters at a time or sometimes half a chapter at a time. Um, And so we're kind of plotting through this thing. So there's a lot of scripture, right? Um, And uh, and that's okay. We're we're just going to read it. Um, Up to this point, we are up to chapter six. Um, Last week, we rounded out chapter five. um, And basically... As a way of uh, reminder about what all this is about, Paul very simply in chapter, Roman chapter five, 5, in the very first verse, he explains, okay, I've stated this thing is about righteousness, right? About your righteousness, about you being made right. And that's how we understand righteousness, right in being, uh, not right in doing. Right in doing comes after the right in being, but right in being, we have a new nature, right? So this thing is about righteousness and your rightness in being, um, Well, what does that matter? Why does that even matter? And Paul says in Romans 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, so having been made right in our nature by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. Because now we have peace with God. If we're born again, if we're made new, we have peace with God. Before this, that didn't exist in our lives. And we didn't have peace with God. There was turmoil. There was what felt like a battle. There was anxiety. There was fear. There was strain. There was instability. All of this existed in our lives, in, our, in relationship with God. And that was our daily experience. But now we have peace with God. That's our status now. That's why it matters, okay? That's why it matters. Peace with him. And it's all because of Jesus. Now, before we ever get to our chapter six this morning, I want to remind you that Paul is writing because of who Paul is writing to. In the middle of all this truth about righteousness and all of this truth about having peace with God and that being our experience now, he's layering in all of this talk about Jew and Gentile, okay? And uh, uh, law and, and faith and who's in and who's out. He's layered all of this in there because when Paul writes this stuff, he's not writing to blank slates, Right? He's writing to people who have understandings of their life and and who God is and who they are because of God and how they relate to God. So he's not writing to a blank slate at all. Um, He's writing to people who have established understandings of of God and relationship to God and how that affects their lives and their way of living. And and those, uh, the, the truth is, those understandings, Paul knows that those understandings is kind of like theological baggage when it comes to this new understanding of Jesus, okay? Because remember, Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians in Rome, but part of these people uh, come from a Jewish background, so they're Jewish Christians, 
And part of these people don't have any of that. So he's, he's wading through all of that stuff that might be baggage. Um, he, he's wading through it all. And so to get to the reality of this good news, he has, to, he has to do that. And so he's using terms like Abraham and Moses and law and, and all of this stuff to try and like lay aside the stuff that's gonna be an obstacle to this understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trying to lay all that stuff aside so that people can understand it, right? And you can see that in, in, in parallels with people today, right? We got baggage, we got theological baggage. We come with an understanding, whether that's from just us or whether that's from parents or whether that's past church experiences, whatever, we come with baggage and it doesn't always lead us to a clear understanding of the good news that is Jesus Christ, right? So for instance, what we talked about last week, Paul addressed what's the actual role of the law, right? What is, what was the law of Moses? And when he says the law, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about like the 10 commandments and all the law that was created to go along with those, okay? So what's the actual role of the law? Because the common understanding for a Jewish people, the baggage that they would have brought into this thing is, that, uh, is this right up here, right? So this slide, it would be something like this. I am sinful, the law came in so that I can apply that law to my life. And if I follow that law, I am righteous and I'm in good standing with God, okay? That was the common Jewish understanding. That's a lot of people's understanding today about the law. God's pleased with me through the law that was a typical understanding. That's the baggage that Paul is talking about because what he writes in, uh, in, in Romans uh, 5, or actually Romans 3, he says the actual role of the law was this. I'm sinful. I apply the law. I try to follow the law. And in doing so, I fail over and over again because the law only gets stricter, right? We talked about that last week. Therefore, the point of the law was to show us that there is something deeper within us that is wrong than just bad behaviors. There's something, you can't fix what's wrong with just correcting behavior. There's something deeper here going on. And the deeper thing is unrighteousness. It reveals that thing. That was the point of the law, was, was to come in um, so that the, the, the law would, or to, to show us that, there, that we are unrighteous. I need something more than this. I need something more. And so Paul is layering in these things and he's addressing these things that are gonna be obstacles to people fully embracing the whole truth of righteousness in Christ. And so this is new teaching for them, right? This is a new idea for them, for a lot of them. And because it's new, because it's different, by nature, it goes against what they currently understood or what they currently believe. Okay? And when you present a new understanding to people that is different from what is already established in their minds or what is already established in, in their way of life, um, you get argument, right? At the very kindest level, you get discussion. At the harshest level, uh, you get uh, flat-out hostility, right? Because you're presenting something it doesn't fit with what I know to be true. What, what I've believed my whole life and what, what I understand how I relate to God and who God is and who I am because of God and people who are serious about their relationship with God are gonna react very strongly in those circumstances. Paul knows that, right? Paul understands that. The biggest example of that is uh, the crucifixion, right? 
Jesus came and he was saying things that didn't line up with what the religious establishment understood and believed about who God was and about the nature of God and the nature of people and all of that. And the high priest had Jesus killed because he started gaining a following. And people started going, wait a minute, this guy's got something to say here and it's not necessarily what all the established religion believes. And the high priest said, you know what? We gotta put a stop to this thing. You gotta put a stop to it. And so they killed him, right? Now we know that there was something in the spiritual world going on there that they didn't know was going on at the time. But in their world, they needed to stop this guy because what he was saying was confronting their understanding. And that's always the case, right? With new ideas or new revelations when they're presented. Oh, come on. Come on, you can't really believe that, right? You can't really think that. You can't be serious. That's not right. Why not? Well, because that doesn't fit with what I've been taught. Oh, right? That's, that's what we have this whole thing. So Paul knows that this is the case. He knows that's the, the kind of thing that he's gonna get as he's writing into us because he knows he's making some statements that do not fit theologically with what previous understanding might have been. He knows that. In this case, especially for the Jewish Christians, because they've got a little bit of a, uh, maybe a little bit different baggage, um, but also maybe for us today, right? It's why he starts out the letter saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. He says it to the church, remember? I'm not ashamed of this good news. I'm not ashamed because in it is the righteousness of God and it's revealed, uh, in it, excuse me, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. And I'm not ashamed of that truth for you, okay? Because Paul knows that this is the case. He knows that there's gonna be pushback. And so what we get in Romans 6 is Paul getting ahead of that and saying, I know, your, I know your arguments, right? I know what's coming. He's had these conversations before. He knows what people's responses are gonna be. And I will tell you personally that anytime you present a gospel of righteousness in Christ through faith in Jesus, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're gonna get what I call a, uh, a Romans 6 argument at some point, right? It's gonna come back to this without fail going to come back to this. Because Romans 6, the argument goes something like this. So what? Now you're saying people can just sin? Now you're just saying people can sin all they want? Pile up sin? Is that what's going on? You think they can do that? Without the law, how are people going to know what, what's right and wrong? Right? You might have heard this argument. You might have this argument, right? Grace is great, but we need balance. We need balance. We need the law to balance us out. Otherwise, people are going to fly off the highway without any guardrails, okay? So I want to look at Romans 6, and let's see what Paul says about that whole thing because he clearly is addressing people's concerns that might have this. Now, I'll warn you, we got a lot of Scripture to read today, all right? So I hope you brought your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's up on the screen, but it makes it easier. All right, so here it is, Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in grace? excuse me, continue in sin so that grace may increase. All right, hang on a second. Remember, he just said faith is the new law, right? He sets up this argument. Faith is the new law. Um, it, law was not made to make you righteous. It was made to uh, create 
in you an understanding that you are not righteous, okay? So he says, but faith is the means by which you are made right in being. Okay, so, so what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into that death, into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for the one who has died is free from sin. So Paul answers that question. He's like, okay, I know it's coming, right? This is not a Facebook interaction where people can argue back and forth, right? This is not, there, there is no rebuttal here. This is not a conversation, but he's had these conversations before. And so he answers that question, well, if it's just faith and there's no law and there's no works and it's all grace, well, then what does it matter what we do? Why don't you just, so you're just letting people go do whatever they want, right? Can we just go all sin all, all we want? I love the way Paul answers this question. He says, no doofus. All right, sorry, that was mine. My interpretation. No name calling, right? But he says, no, listen. Listen, should we sin more so that there's more grace? What are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense. You're missing the point of what I'm saying. You're missing the point of this. Why would I say that? It doesn't make sense. Don't you know that if you're in Christ, you've died to sin? Don't you know that? Don't you know that the old you, the old man whose nature it was to sin all the more is dead? Don't you know that? Don't you know that you died with Jesus on the cross? Your old self was crucified with him in order that your body of sin would be done away with. Listen, that body of sin, that's not a metaphorical statement. I always thought of that as like my body of sin, like it's your portfolio, you know, your body of work. Like I'm gonna present my body of sin, my body of work. That's not it. Paul is saying your body, your sinful body, you, your nature, your body of sin was done away with. That's what he's saying. It's not like this metaphorical statement. Like this is, he's talking about a reality. That body of sin is done away with. It doesn't exist anymore. God killed it with Jesus on the cross. Why did he kill it? Because the one who, is die, who has died is free from sin. He killed the old you to set you free, but he didn't, just wait, he didn't leave you dead, right? He didn't leave you dead. If you read verse eight, it says, now, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him, and I would say us too. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Listen, God 
killed the old you on the cross with Jesus and then he raised the new you to life in the resurrection. Amen? That's big news. The new you, the alive you, the righteous you was raised to life when Christ was raised from the dead. Remember, if you go back to Romans 4, what did he say? He was crucified for our wrongdoings, but he was raised to life for our justification, for us to be made right. See, God's plan wasn't to fix you. God's plan wasn't uh, uh, to, to, to patch you up, to make you better, okay? So that you could limp along and maybe get into heaven by following laws or moral codes or whatever. His plan was to kill the old you because it wasn't fixable. You died with Christ. He killed that old man and he raised the new man to life. He raised you to life. You are not the same. You are new. This is a spiritual reality, all right? I'm not making this up. It's right here. This is a spiritual reality. And this is why you can have peace with God because the old you is gone. The old you that was an enemy of God is gone. Now the new you who is made right in Christ is alive and kicking. Read on to verse 12. It says, Therefore, sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your body parts as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God because that's what's happened to you. This is not just a thought process. This is an understanding that this is what has actually happened in you. If that's what happened in you, then you live, get to live like it, right? To continue to live like sin is your master, it doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. This is Paul's answer to the question. So you're saying I, should, I can just go out and have a sin party? He says, what? That doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? How can we who are dead to sin live it anymore? Because we're dead to sin, sin doesn't bring life. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't whatever, right? It's, 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 it's not there for us anymore. Because that isn't who you are anymore. It's not consistent with your new nature that has been raised to life. What are you talking about? See, what Paul is talking about is that he believes that there is a spiritual reality that has changed. There is a spiritual reality here. He's talking about something greater than converting to a new set of rules. He says, maybe that's not what you think happened or maybe you think that that is what happened or maybe that is what actually happened for you. But if you're born again, that's not what I'm talking about. If you're made new, then you're not the same anymore. There's something different that has happened. That old self is dead and the new self is raised. That's a spiritual reality, and that's a reality that you and I can't accomplish. 
okay? God had to do it. And because God did it, and because it's not done by our own effort, it's something of a substance that is totally new and totally different in your life. It's a totally different experience for you. You're not just trying to be a better person. You're not like, well, let's see how I can apply this and become a better Christian or, or however you wanna say it. Listen, you've been killed and brought back to life. You're born again. That's what that statement means. You're born new again. So this question of, well, I guess I'll just go out and have a sin party, it doesn't even make sense when you understand that you have a new nature. You tell me, Christians in the room, how much do you want to run out the door and sin as much as you can possibly sin right now? Doesn't make sense, does it? Because that's not who you are anymore. And you'll probably walk out the door and you will sin. I guarantee it. Because your mind is built in these patterns of life and you know, the way of I, me thinking I've got to get my needs met, but that's not who you are anymore, right? That's not who you are anymore. It's not your nature anymore. You're dead to sin, you're alive to God. Sin is not your master. Here's the difference for a person who's born again. You have a choice now. You have a choice. Before, you didn't have a choice. Sin was your master. You did what it said. You were dead and you didn't know it, right? Your life was only about you and only about getting your needs met because that was your only option. You didn't have any other options to get needs met. It was all about you and doing what you needed to do to get your needs met. But Paul is saying, listen, I'm telling you, that old man is dead. He's gone. You have been raised to life in Christ. Sin is not your master. Why would you then think you would want to go back out and live and revel in it? Why would you think that other people are gonna wanna do that if they've been born again? I'm telling you, you're not going to. And they're not going to if they've been born again. And listen, if you think you're gonna stop people who are not born again from sinning, go try. <laughs> it's not gonna happen, right? They might be better behaved. They might be good citizens, but they're still dead in sin. The only solution is to be born again, to be made new. And if you read this, Paul once again connects this idea to being under grace and not law. If you read it, he's talking about like, like righteousness and being dead and being alive and all this kind of thing. And all of a sudden this line comes in where he's like, because you're under grace and not law. Like, wait a minute, where did that come from, Paul? Well, he's connecting it back to this idea. The connection of, of sin not being our master or sin being our master if we're under law, but since we're under grace, sin is no longer our master. How does that work or why does that work? Well, remember, if you go back, we talked last week he finished up with, in, in Romans 5, he said this whole thing about sin reigning in death and grace reigning in life. If you read that verse, first, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, the law came in so the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's look at this. It looks like this. In death, Law revealed sin 
was in charge in your life, okay? In life, righteousness reveals grace has the final word. So in death, sin reigns. Sin is master over you, and the law reveals that because you can't do it, no matter how hard you try. In life, grace reigns. Grace is in charge. Grace has the final word, and it's because you've been made right. It's because you are now righteous. So this idea that if we're under grace, we're just gonna go out and it gives us freedom to sin. It doesn't make sense. If you look even even at Titus chapter two, Paul, again, is writing this letter and he addresses what grace actually does. He says, listen, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, bringing righteousness, salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age. Grace does that. Grace does that. How does grace do that? Because we were made new. And because we're made new, we know we're under, we're under grace. We're not under law. And God looks at us under this covenant of grace and says, grace has the final word here because you're made new. Because you're made new. I really like the way that Putty Putman talks about this idea of a covenant of grace. We have a we, we were doing a, a, a School of Kingdom ministry class. And he presented this idea of grace. It, it really kind of struck me. So he said, well, this word grace in Greek, it's the same word that is translated favor, okay? So grace and favor, anytime you see that word grace, it's the word charis in Greek. And it also means, it's also the meaning of favor, okay? And uh, if you think about that word favor, what does favor sound like? Or what did we know, like favorite, right? Favorite or favorable. If something is favorable, it's, it's for you. So Putty said that this idea of a covenant of grace is that God has made a covenant of, I like you. God has made a covenant of, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. And it's a covenant. It's a promise that God has made to himself. He has promised on himself I like you. You're my favorite. That's way better than law. That covenant of grace is what reigns in our lives in those of us who have been made new in Christ. We have his favor. We have this covenant of God where he likes us always. You're my favorite. Yeah, God, I, I, I know, but I sinned. You're my favorite. I like you. Yeah, but this time I really messed up, God. I know. I like you. That's amazing, isn't it? And it's possible because he's made us new. It's possible because he has made us righteous but that's a far cry from what Jewish Christians in the church in Rome would be bringing into their church experience. And they would, of course, be asking those questions. Well, what's to keep me from going out and just sinning all the more if I don't have a guardrail for the law? Paul's argument is you're not the same person you used to be. That's what. You're not the same. 
The old man is dead. The new righteous you is alive. And because the new righteous you is alive, you exist in a covenant of grace. This is the gospel of righteousness where grace now rules your life. I know, more reading. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, this is chapter six, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. So Paul says, he's making, he's, he's listening to all these metaphors, right? He goes, you're dead to sin and you're alive to God in that first section, right? So now in this section, he says, you were once slaves to sin, but you've been freed and now you're slaves to God. Now, Obviously, when you say I'm enslaved to God, all of a sudden we're picturing chains, we're picturing uh, a marching in order of slaves and we gotta do what, what God tells us to do and, and it's just, it's a miserable ex- experience. But I think we need to understand that, understand that term, slaves to God, in the, in the understanding of what he has previously mentioned. He's talking about who is master, Okay. He says, sin doesn't rule over you anymore. Sin does not decide your fate anymore. You didn't have a choice before. Sin reigned in death, but grace reigns in life. Sin is not your master now. Sin does not decide your life anymore. Now God does, because he is your master. What you derive from belonging to God is life. See, it's just another metaphor to say you're not the same anymore. The substance of your life is not what it once was. So dead to sin, alive to God. Freed from sin, enslaved to God. And again, emphasis on ruling, emphasis on who is deciding your fate. And then getting into chapter seven, Paul uses another or talks about another change that's taken place. Chapter seven. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters? So for, he says, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Who knows the law? The Jewish Christians, right? Okay. So, or do you not know that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is alive, she gives herself to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she, does not, she is not an adulteress if she gives herself to another man. So basically he's saying, listen, he's setting up another metaphor. Okay, you know the law, okay? You know how the law works. As long as the man is alive, the woman is, is his, basically, in this culture, right? She's bound by the law that says she's his, okay? You know how this works. So let me put it into, in, into these terms for you, in terms of the law. So verse four, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were put to, uh, put to death in regard to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear the fruit of God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were brought to light in the law, again, bringing, bringing them to light in the law, knowledge of sin, 
um, were at work in the parts of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. He's like, you know how the law works, right? You know how this law works. If, if you're married, uh, you're bound by the law to that person. It works like that with us in the law now. If you've died to the law, if you've died, you're set free from the law. You were put to death in regard to the law so that you're not beholden, you're not obligated to the law anymore. Not just to go out and do whatever you want, not just to be free to, to sin all you want, but so that you can belong to another, so that you can belong to him who was raised from the dead. In other words, you aren't married to the law anymore. There's newness here. You've been released so that you belong to Christ in this covenant of grace. So Paul's used all these metaphors to try and explain something. Something's changed, okay? It's, and it's more than just following new rules, okay? This, we're, this, that's not what this is about. This is not a mental exercise. This is a spiritual reality. Dead to sin, alive to God. Freed from sin, enslaved to God. Not under the law, but under grace. Dead to law so that you could be united to Christ. And he's, he's repeating these things over and over in different ways to try and get this point across that something is different now. The substance of your life has changed. The outlook of your life has changed. The way you relate to God has changed. The understanding and the function and the role of law has changed. These questions about can I do whatever I want and just pile up as much sin as I can possibly pile up in my life? They completely miss the point that you're not the same person. If you just switch to a new set of rules, that would seem offensive, right? I'm just gonna switch to a new set of rules. Well, yeah, then I'll just go do all I want. But that doesn't make sense because that's not what's happened. That's not what has happened. And somebody who's asking those questions is either completely ignoring the spiritual reality of what it means to be a Christian, or maybe they think it, doesn't, it wasn't completely finished. It didn't completely take all the way. And Paul says there is a reality of righteousness in your life now. Your nature has changed. What are you worried about? Come on. This is the good news of righteousness. The gospel. Righteousness means we're dead to sin and alive to God because that's how God intended for it to be when he created people, right? Righteousness means we're free from sin and we belong to God because that's how God designed it. Righteousness means the law is done. We don't need the law because the law was to point out that we were unrighteous, but now we've been made righteous, so the law doesn't matter anymore right? We've been released from it. Righteousness means that we have peace with God. Now, last week, if you'll think about, we're going to wrap up with this. If you'll think about the idea, I, I tease, or if you remember back, I tease the idea that last week and this week are a part A and a part B message. What we talked about today is Paul saying in different words, we have peace with God. Okay, this is the reality. God has done something in you and because of that, we have peace with him. But you might remember me asking at the very end of the message, I wanted you to consider, is that your daily experience? 
Do you daily experience a reality of peace with God? Because listen, you have peace with God. If you're born again, if you're made new, you have peace with God. But I think very few people experience that peace with God on a daily basis. There's a difference. All believers have peace with God because of faith in Jesus Christ. Not all believers experience that peace with God on a daily basis. Many believers still feel like it's a battle with God. There's still fear. What if I do this and God pushes me away? There's still instability. There's still stress. There's still strain. There's still anxiety. For Jesus to say something like, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that doesn't even come close to fitting with their experience. And I think that's because many people do not understand and live like they have been made righteous. They do not understand and they do not live practically like they live under a covenant of you're my favorite, of I like you. What did Paul write that we read today? I know we've said it a bunch. I'm gonna say it again. To be righteous means that God killed the old you and raised the new you to life in Christ. To be righteous means that you're dead to sin and alive to God. To be righteous means you're free from sin and you belong to God. To be righteous means you've been released from the law and you belong to Christ. To be righteous means you live under a covenant of I like you, you are my favorite, period, end of story. Born again people have been made righteous and those truths are for every single believer. And if you live a life that lines up with those truths, you can experience that in your day-to-day life experience that in your day-to-day walk with God. You can experience the peace that you actually have with God. But if we don't live a life that lines up with those truths, we won't experience that peace on a day-to-day basis. And here's what I mean. You're made new, okay? If you, being made new, Live like the old you is still alive and kicking. There's no peace there. There's a battle to try and keep the old man down. There's a struggle there. There's a strain and there's a stress and there's an anxiety. God said, I buried the old man and I raised you to life. But you're believing and you're living like the old man's alive and kicking. There's no peace there. If you're choosing to live like the law is still in effect. If you choose to live law, even though you've been released from it, you won't experience peace with God on a day-to-day basis. The law is only gonna make you focus on sin. And sin is gonna take the place of grace in your life. You'll see it as sin ruling over your life because you're trying to defeat sin by law And law can only point out the fact that there's sin in your life. And where does that leave you? That leaves you feeling pretty crummy, right? In relation to God. 
You feel like God feels that way about you too. If you choose to live a life where you being free from sin and it not ruling over you, if you choose to live a life where you continue to let sin rule over you and you continue to submit yourself to its mastery in your life, you won't experience peace in your relationship with God either because you're living like you're alive to sin and dead to God. You feel like you're dead to God because you feel condemned and you feel ashamed and you feel guilty and you feel all of these things, but it's because you're choosing to let sin rule over your life. You're you're letting it be master. And all you're gonna experience is condemnation, self-condemnation and and feel like God is condemning you. If you think there's part of you that's still alive to sin, then you're gonna spend all your time struggling against it, straining under your own power to stop rather than trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to work in you. And that's not peace. This is why Paul urges them at the beginning of this to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Understand yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. This can be a reality for you. This is why I'm so hard on law, whether it's capital L, Mosaic law, or lowercase l, moral law that we have created. Because if you're choosing to live that life, where you're understanding yourself to please God or not please God based on your actions, you're not gonna experience peace and daily walk with God. And that's what I want for people. I want for born again people to understand they've been born again and they've been freed from sin. They belong to God in Christ Jesus under a covenant of grace. They've been freed from law because law only points out sin and it's not reality for you anymore. Yes, we still sin because we have minds that take us that way and that haven't been renewed. But that's why Paul says, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Understand yourself to have been made new. Why don't we stand? I know these messages keep getting longer because we just keep reviewing all the stuff we've talked about before. But Paul wrote a long letter, all right? Paul wrote a long letter. And I just can't not address the things that are written in it. It's for freedom that you were set free, Paul says. Do we get to experience that freedom or are we gonna experience being bound by something still? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your message. We thank you for the wisdom that you gave Paul in writing. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the inspiration of of the scripture and the things that we have recorded. It's my prayer that we always see your truth. It's revealed to us in clarity. God, maybe we always see who, who we are in you, that you have the final say, that grace is the ruler and the master in our lives not sin and not law, but it's grace. And it gives us the freedom to walk with you in relationship, whether we fail or not, gives us the freedom to walk in relationship with you. We love you, Lord. Let's just sing to him some more.